Hi, everybody. We've been looking at some of the prophets in the last couple of weeks. And I, you know, today I want to look at a prophet that maybe we're familiar with, but we might not have studied, at least not on a lot of depth. And that's Jonah. Jonah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. There is so much in Jonah and is only four chapters long. Uh, you know, very unique among all of the prophets. And every prophet, God is the subject. And every other prophet but Jonah... God is glorified through the prophet's work. But in Jonah, God is glorified in spite of what the prophet does or does not do, as we'll see. We heard the first couple verses a couple minutes ago. Uh, the first line reads, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The first word of that, now, it's, it's like the book. There's a whole lot more going on in that one word than we think. The word now in Hebrew is actually and, uh, the, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and. Now we automatically skip over words like that, and, now, uh, and, and they seem like they're just throwaway. But they're really important because what this is telling us is this story didn't start right here. And means this story's been going on uh, and, and that the four chapters of Jonah are a small part of a much larger story. It's just like our lives, right? I mean, my life is not about me. Your life is not about you. Our lives are about God. I mean, God is the main character and we're just blessed to be part of the story, right? It's God's story, not my story. The first word and is there to remind us, God's been at work a long time before Jonah ever shows up. You know, Jonah's story is a small part of a much bigger story. The story of God, you know, the story of God working through Israel. The, the story of God going back to Moses, back to Abraham and Sarah, all the way back to Adam and Eve. God's story continued after Jonah as well, right? All the way to the time that he walked on the earth in the man Jesus, all the way to today. This is so important for us to get and, and to remember all the time. My life, it, it's not about me. It's about God. And when we really get that, our lives will start to change. Because the human condition is to focus on ourselves. The more we find our identity not in me, but in God, the more we have life purpose and meaning and satisfaction. I love, in the book, Blue Like Jazz, Don Miller, he talks about this. He says, you know, we, we don't want to admit it, but we all think that we are the hero in a story about us. And everyone, my spouse, my kids, my friends, my neighbors, everybody, they're bit characters in this story about me. And they kind of come in and they go out and, you know, the, the world and the universe, it, it revolves around me. Reading that was a paradigm shifter for me. The story of Jonah reminds us of that truth that, you know, it's not about me, it's about God. So look at the rest of the first line. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Uh, we've talked about that phrase, the word of the Lord, uh, last several weeks, and it's not an accurate translation. I don't want to go into that too much, but in Hebrew, it, it, the, the word debar, which is translated as word here, it, it means the, the experiences or the things of. It's like, 
the things of the Lord happened to Jonah. And then the rest of the story, it's the result of that encounter when he had the, this experience with the things of the Lord. And just like every other prophet, Jonah experienced the things of the Lord. But unlike the other prophets, Jonah ran away from his call. He ran away from God. What do we know about Jonah? Well, actually quite a bit. Now, Jonah, you may not realize this, is mentioned in another book of the Bible, and that's 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 through 26. And it's worth going back to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's really important to get this happened before Jonah and the whale and all the stuff in the book of Jonah. In a nutshell, 2 Kings says, God, he, he called Jonah to speak to the Israelite king to restore and, and fortify a, a border that was open to attack. And they did that. And because of Jonah, Israel was saved. He, he saved the day. He was a celebrity. He was like a hero. And, and that's so important because before the story, Jonah had already been a successful prophet. He had experienced the things of the Lord before, and he followed his call, and as he did that, Israel was saved. I mean, everybody knew it. He got notoriety for it. He was a hero. He was a savior for Israel. Now, why is this important? Well, the first time around, when God called Jonah, he was supposed to reach out and save Israel. God called Jonah to save God's children, Israel. And he did it no problem, you know. And, and, and he's, Israel was saved from Jonah's work as a prophet. He was a hero. But then God called Jonah again. And it's a very different story. The hero prophet runs away from this second call. Why? Well, listen to what God wants him to do. Jonah 1, 2. Go at once to Nineveh that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now you think that would be a really exciting thing for Jonah. I mean, he knows God's going to be with him, and he knows God's going to work through him, and it's already happened once, so what's the problem? Well, this time Jonah is not called to speak to Israel. Rather than speaking to his own people, to God's people, God's children, his special people, God wants him to go speak to the heathens. God wants him to go to the ungodly people, their enemies, people who are not holy like him. Jonah doesn't want to do that. Why? Is it because he's afraid he's going to fail? No, I don't think so. You know, the more you read the book, the more you realize it's the exact opposite. Jonah is not afraid of failure. Jonah's afraid of success. What do I mean? Jonah does not want to succeed in this call because he hates the Ninevites. They're not like him. And he's got some baggage. Jonah is one of God's children, the Israelites. God's supposed to work in and through and for his people, his special people. And Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites to experience that same relationship. Jonah thinks, being a prophet of my own people, that's great. 
But helping foreigners? People who aren't like me? People who aren't like my friends? No way. So what does he do? Listen to Jonah 1.3. Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Most likely Tarshish is Spain. A uh, big deal is it's, it's less about location than what it symbolizes. Uh, Tarshish was pretty much the furthest place you could go. It was the ends of the world for the Jews at the time. You know, centuries before Christ, that was as far as they understood. And, and there's even more, because, you know, Hebrews, they were deathly afraid of water. And they'd go out a little bit in their fishing boats and they'd throw their nets out, but they'd stay away from the big blue sea because they didn't know what was down there. And it represented chaos to them. So what the saying is, the prophet Jonah would rather go across the open sea to the ends of the earth over the unknown deep rather than to pursue God's call. So what do we know about Nineveh? Well, it was the capital of Assyria. Uh, they were Israel's arch enemy, and they had been really bad to the Israelites. There's no question. They were brutal. And the Ninevites, that was the capital city, uh, Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want them to turn from their wickedness because then he'd have to love them. He'd have to forgive them. He'd have to reconcile with them and he'd have to care about them. You remember Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Think about what that means. I mean, it sounds so great in theory, right? But when you hit the practice, think about the person or the people who you can't stand. Your enemy. Someone who really hurt you deeply. Did you intentional harm? Then think about Jesus' call to love them, to pray for them. I mean, if you legitimately take this at what Jesus is saying, would you be able to do that? What would happen if, if they had a turn in their hearts toward you? Where would you be? Would you have to be friends with them? Could you do that? It's hard enough to love your enemy, and, and, but if you really follow this path, it gets stickier and stickier. What happens when your enemy changes their behavior, which is what he was supposed to try to get them to, to do? Could you forgive them? Could you just erase and replace all of that with love and em embrace them? See, Jonah knew how this prophet gig worked. And, and God calls the prophet to speak. God actually speaks through the prophet. It's not the prophet. It, it's God who's doing this work. And so Jonah knew nothing's impossible for God. So if God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh to turn their hearts, that meant God would be working through them and that meant it would happen. Then where, where would he be? I mean, Jonah would have to forgive the Ninevites. Everything they've done 
against his people, not just him. Then he'd have to go to Israel and get them to reconcile with the Ninevites. They'd all have to be in relationship. That's not going to happen. Jonah wasn't willing. He would rather run from God, run to the ends of the earth, because the last thing he wanted to do was succeed. And it's one thing to love your enemy because you're God's child, and they're not. But when we pull down that facade and we truly reach out and we embrace our enemy as an equal, when we initiate a change in behavior by modeling it first, that's a whole different thing. If they're really going to be equals, you know, we all get this. You actually have to listen to the other's point of view. You have to take their perspective seriously. That's really hard because we relinquish some things so they can have a place at the table. He didn't want to give it up. I mean, to really do what God was calling Jonah to do meant he had to treat the Ninevites as equals, as brothers. He had to be in relationship with them. And, and then, I mean, think about that. He'd have to go to Israel and get them to accept Nineveh's change of heart. He didn't want to do that. There's so many great details we have to skip here, and it just, frankly, it kills me. But God says, the Bible says God threw a storm at Jonah's boat, and the storm, this was God's intervention. And, you know, what's an intervention? Well, it's a tool, right, to get somebody's attention. Someone who loves someone, family, friends, you know, they're concerned about the behavior of their loved one. And the storm, it gets his attention. It takes a while. He's thrown overboard. Immediately, the storm stops. And, and the ship returns to land, and these Gentile saviors were told, worship God because of the experience. And the scripture says God provided a fish. The word provided, it, it's, it's like a divine preparation, a commission in Hebrew. This isn't the type of fish that, you know, ordinary swims in the ocean. God provided, I mean, God created this fish for Jonah. And it's not an ordinary fish. It's a miracle. And this is really important because God made the earth and God made the sea and, and God is the master of the sea. God is the master of the dry land. God's the master of chaos, even the deep. I mean, for the ancient Israelites, uh, you know, a huge part of this Chaos was the unknown, what was down there. And the sea was chaos. The fish is proof that God can still the chaos. God can calm the chaos. So God keeps Jonah safe in the midst of chaos. He saves him. Not by removing him from the chaos, but by being master of the chaos. God protects Jonah, even as he's fleeing from God, even when Jonah would rather die than be obedient to God. And it took a while. It says it took three days and three nights in the belly of a fish until Jonah finally prays. I guess better late than never, right? Because Jonah kind of needed a timeout. I mean, this was, this was like his penalty box for life. He was, he was in the corner, had to think about it. 
took three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, but he got it. And you're going to read the prayer this week if you read the study guide. And, and the prayer, his prayer, pay attention to his prayer. It, it's pretty much cut and paste from a whole bunch of psalms. I mean, just every line, just cut and paste from a different psalm. And they're beautiful verses of thanksgiving that he recites. It's his thanksgiving for salvation. But there's a problem, not in what he says, but what he doesn't say. Because there's no regret whatsoever. Jonah has no repentance, no request for forgiveness, nothing at all. Throughout the book of Jonah, there's this continual downward movement. Uh, he keeps going. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the belly of the ship. He goes down into the belly of the whale. He goes down into the depths of the sea. Uh, the, the prayer is his rock bottom. He's hit down. Uh, he's not going to admit his guilt. In running from God, Jonah has sunk further and further and further down. But God has gone down into the depths with him with Jonah, for Jonah. There is no place that God will not pursue you. You are the desire of God's heart. So God saves Jonah from drowning, but even in the belly of this whale, this fish, deep down under the sea, Jonah is he's not gonna fess up for his mistake. He's not gonna ask for forgiveness. And even worse, Jonah does the same thing any school kid will do if they get caught. You know, he tries to point the attention on everybody else. He starts out by saying, I called the Lord in my distress, which he really didn't. And then Jonah goes on and on about how God answered his call and he laments about how he was driven from God's sight and, and he would never again look upon the holy temple. And then he talks about how he was lost in this pit of despair. And then God pulled him, saved him from the pit. And then he describes how his life is just ebbing away. And then he remembers the Lord and he prays to the Lord. And then verse 8 and 9, Jonah really hits rock bottom. When he says, He is not like those who worship vain idols, forsaking their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. I mean, this whole prayer is a facade. Jonah isn't repentant at all. He's been in this fish for three days. He's tired of it. He wants out. That's all. I mean, he, he's done with timeout. He's done with the penalty box. He's ready to do whatever he thinks is going to get him out of this. He's going to say whatever he thinks God needs to hear for him to let him out. He doesn't mean it. I mean, he wants to escape the fish. So he, in this prayer... You know, he says what he thinks is going to get him out. And first he tries to butter up God. Then he does what, you know, we have all done when we were kids. He just shifts the blame to somebody else. It's their fault. We all did this. Politicians do it every day on the news, right? But what about, I mean, we get caught in something. And we did try to deflect attention to, to something else. They were so much worse than me. I mean, you saved me, God. Thank you for rescuing me down in the depths. You, you saved me from those heathen idol worshipers. <laughs> Threw me in the water. Those Gentiles, how dare they throw one of God's children into the water to drown. They are terrible. They're God-haters. It's not like me, oh God. They worship false idols false gods, but I will offer sacrifices to you. You are so worthy to be praised. 
Jonah's just spit out of the fish. But we're going to see how completely unrepentant he is in the next chapter. Listen to 3, 1 through 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I'll tell you. Jonah got a second chance. At his second chance. I just love that because that's amazing grace, right? Jonah, he goes to Nineveh. It's a huge city. It's the largest city in the world at the time. And he walks through the city all day long, just watching people, just taking it all in. And then he does what God wants him to do. He gives this message. In Hebrew, it's pretty anticlimactic. It's five words, five short words. I put this in perspective. He ran from God. He almost drowned. He was down in under the sea in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Then he travels to Nineveh and he walks through the whole city and he says five short words. Forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. In Hebrew, it's five short words. That's all he says. He doesn't mention God. He doesn't mention wickedness. He doesn't mention repentance. He doesn't mention judgment. Nothing. Just 40 short days and Nineveh will be destroyed. A lot of translations will say he cried out those words. And, you know, there's a lot of room in the Hebrew here. Cry is a possible reading, but so is recite. So is mumble. Which I think really fits this context better. Spent the whole day wandering through Nineveh watching his enemies, struggling with this notion that God loves his enemies, and eventually he just mumbles five words. I think he was hoping nobody would hear him. Or that they wouldn't listen, that they wouldn't care. He could just say, well, I did it, God. I have the sneaking suspicion that the reason he wandered for a whole day he, he, he was looking for what he finally found, and that was just a deserted back alley where nobody was there. You know, he just kept looking for it. And I, we don't know. But I can hear inside, okay, God, you really want me to do this? Here it goes. 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. There you go. I did it. There you go. I hope you're happy. They're not going to change, God. They're terrible. They're horrible. They're never going to change their ways. They're, what, what are they doing? Can you see? By some miracle, somebody heard his five words and, and they actually took it seriously. I mean, they believed and they did what Jonah failed to do, right? They, they believed. They shared the message with the hope that things could change. That wasn't in his message. They shared the message that things can be different. If we take this seriously and their message convinced someone else who convinced someone else and it made it all the way to the king. Everyone told their friends. The whole nation turned to God. Exactly what Jonah did not want to happen. <laughs> then it gets even worse. Listen to 310. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. He did not do it. Now what? Can you imagine for Jonah? The Ninevites, his enemy. God has mercy on them. What does that mean for him? 
God doesn't expect me to love them, does he? And when Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, it really wasn't a new teaching. Because that's what Jonah's about. But Jonah didn't want to love his enemies. Listen to how Jonah responds to God's call to show mercy to his enemy. I just want to read you 4, 1 through 11. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish from the beginning. For I knew that you were gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah went out to the city, sat down east of the city, made a booth for himself. He sat under it, under the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush and it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor. You did not grow. And it came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right from their left and also have many animals? That's the end of the book. Jonah ends with a question. It's for Jonah, it's for us. God asks, shouldn't I be concerned about creation, Jonah? They may be different from you, Jonah, but I love them. I even love their animals, Jonah. Now, obviously, there's a question implicit here that Jonah just does not want to deal with, but it's there. Jonah, if you want to be one of my children, if you want to be one of my people, you have to be concerned about them as well. Because if you're going to be my child, you need to be concerned about the things I'm concerned with. I love Jonah so much because he's us, right? Jonah wasn't afraid of failing in God's call. He was afraid of succeeding. Because if God saved them, it meant God loved them. Which means God loves our enemies. And if Jonah's a child of God, if he's going to follow God, that means he's supposed to love them as well. 
A lot of times we talk about what it means to follow Jesus here at Hillspring. Everywhere else, when we talk about following someone, it means you go where they go, you do what they do. I've never understood how, when it comes to Jesus, when people say follow Jesus, it, it simply means you need to accept him into your heart. Not go where he goes, not do what he does, not follow his teachings, not make sure what's important to Jesus is important to you. Just accept him into your heart. Is that really following Jesus? A follower follows their leader. They go where their leader goes. They do what their leader does. I, I think that means the same thing when we talk about following Jesus. Followers of Jesus are supposed to go where Jesus goes. We're supposed to do what Jesus does. The things that are important to Jesus are supposed to be important to us, even if it's something that we struggle with. At least struggle with it. That's being a disciple. You know, a disciple is someone who follows a leader. If we're disciples of Jesus, we follow our leader. This was not a new concept when Jesus called the disciples in the Gospels. I mean, it was alive and well all the way back to Jonah. Jonah followed the Lord, Yahweh. But when following God meant journeying into territory he didn't want to go into, you know, the minute following God's path looks like it would take Jonah to a place he didn't want to go, where he'd have to love his enemies, where he'd have to forgive them, where he'd have to be in relationship with them, he ran away. He didn't want to follow. Jonah didn't want to go there. God loved Jonah's enemies. God sent Jonah to them to reach out, to let them know that he cared. And he wanted Jonah to know that he cared. And the Ninevites repented. And God changed his mind about destroying them. And this made God, Jonah so angry. Jonah is so real. Did you hear all the mood swings after God changes his mind? He goes from depression to extreme happiness, then depression. I mean, like I say, that, Jonah is us. I mean, one minute he is so upset, he wants to die because God has mercy for the Ninevites. And then he's extremely happy because he has a shade plant. But right after he wants to die because he lost his plant and life is not worth living without a shade plant. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, that's us, right? I don't deserve God's love and forgiveness, but God loves and forgives me anyway. And I accept that grace and I'm set free and I sing amazing grace. And then I leave the sanctuary and I go into the world. Do I offer the same mercy and grace to those that I meet? Are there people who I really don't want God to offer the same love and forgiveness? God loves all of his creation. The parts that are easy to love, 
the parts that deserve love, but God loves the parts that are really hard to love. <laughs> and he calls us to do the same if we want to follow. I mean, it's so easy for me to love my friends, to love my wife, to love my, you know, our church. But whenever I open up the paper, actually, you know, see on the news on the internet, I see a lot of examples, people and things that are really hard to love right now. God created everything. And God loves his creation, all of it. And God wants us to love his creation like he loves his creation. And if we follow God, if we go where God goes, and if we do what he does, there's a call right now to go where he goes to do what he does. God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson right here, and, and he uses nature to instruct him. And he has a plant grow up, and a castor bean plant in Hebrew, and, and it shades him. And then God appointed this fish to swallow Jonah earlier, and then he throws this miracle on this plant, comes large enough for Jonah to have some shade. And that made him happy. Jonah loved it when God did things for him. But when God was focused on others, that didn't go over so well, did it? Jonah's so concerned about losing his sunshade. <laughs> Jonah didn't create the bush. Jonah didn't plant it. Jonah didn't water it. He just benefited from what God did for him one day. And the minute it was gone, life was over. Think about how much God is concerned about creation. The people that he created. People that are different than us. They may look different. They may act different. God created them and God loves them. Book of Jonah says God created, loves the animals that he created. That's the last line of Jonah. He cares about creation is the point. He's concerned about the destructive behavior of those who do evil to his creation. Do wicked things. And God wants his people to enter into these situations and change them. Jonah's rage, Jonah's disappointment, Jonah's momentary extreme happiness in the midst of it, followed by frustration and depression, it, they're to be contrasted with God's compassion and God's empathy. God loves creation. The parts that look like us the parts that don't. You know, most likely you're not going to be called to go to Nineveh and, and change hearts. Maybe some of us will, but what about here in our backyard? Are there people who you just don't want to have anything to do with? Or maybe people who you just don't want to serve? Not because you hate them, but you don't really want to go out of your way. Or maybe it would mean 
I have to offer a place at the table to treat them like I want to be treated. It's a struggle. God created them. God cares about them. Just like he cares about you. I think the number one thing our world needs right now is for us to care. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to look upon your creation, to seek out those parts that just aren't like us. Help us to invite those parts to your table. In your son's name, amen. Thank you.